0: What a rich blessing it is for our church to have so many uh, solid preachers. We thank God for that. That's a blessing. God has provided that and God has uh, grown that, created that, and uh, risen or raised those men up. We praise Him for it. Uh, If you would turn in the Bible to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. We've been in Nehemiah now for a few weeks, not too long. We're moving at a good pace. But well, we've turned the corner. The walls of Jerusalem are built. It's finished. We heard that last week. And so now no longer is it this massive project to build the walls around the city. Now it is, do they know how to move back in there and live and be a city, and be the people of God? That's where Nehemiah goes now beginning in chapter 8. You will see today as we read the first 12 verses. Today's sermon is Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12. You will see today that the whole passage today is about valuing the Word of God. We've been praying all week, and we are intending today that God, by His work in our lives, would cause you to leave here today valuing His Word more, that it would be at the very center of your lives. It doesn't take long to realize that life is hard. Life is heavy. Life is difficult. And may we not learn the hard way. May we learn now. May your church help you learn that we need God and his truth to do whatever we're doing in life. Relationships are hard, aren't they? Friendships are hard. Marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. Jobs are hard. And work the workforce can be hard. We need to know and we need to believe that God has help for us. And God's word and God's truth and God's way in our lives is the answer. We should be thinking, I, I, I wouldn't know how to parent without the word of God in our home. I would not know how to be married without the word of God's influence in my marriage. I wouldn't know how to be who I'm supposed to be in relationships without the word of God. And today from Nehemiah 8, we will see the value, the centrality of the Word of God. I remember several years ago, I was going into school to do a talk, to do a Bible talk, do a Bible study. And a lot of times when we're, when we're walking, we will kind of we'll carry our Bibles like that, just tucked into the back of our pants like that, and we're walking in somewhere. And I took a college student with me that day, and we were walking into the school, and we were kind of navigating the halls, and he said to me, did you come here without your Bible? I said, "Have you ever seen a doctor without his stethoscope? Or have you ever seen a carpenter without his hammer or drill?" I said, "Man, a pastor doesn't have many tools. I can't go anywhere and do anything without this." So I reached I reached under my hoodie and I said, "It's right here." The Bible is that central. The Bible is that important to the life of a church, but to the life of anything. May God create in you, in your own personal life, a love for His Word. I've been quoting many times from TJ Betts' commentary on the book of Nehemiah. Here's what he says about the Word of God being central He says, Spiritual renewal. So think about where you need spiritual renewal in any area. Spiritual renewal does not happen apart from the centrality of the word of God. He goes on to say, we must not undervalue the importance of hearing God's word together. Among other things, it helps us all remember the breadth of God's work of salvation and how we are all members of one another in Christ, needful of one another in the body of Christ. It is the word of God being at the center of our lives individually and our lives separately that continues to point us into what is God's truth and God's way. Read with me, if you will, this morning from Nehemiah chapter 8. We'll read the first 12 verses. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. I won't so badly to kind of stop there and talk about how long that was, but we'll proceed. From early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah and Mishael, and Malchajah, and Hashem, and Hashbananah, Zechariah, and Mashalom on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen. Lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah and Yaman and Akub and Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jehoshaphat, Hanan, Paliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense... For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. What a remarkable passage. Think about if we had just blown through the book of Nehemiah and skipped chapter 8. Think about if we had just focused on what is the main emphasis of Nehemiah, the rebuilding, the rebuilding of the walls. And we would have not seen or spent time to slow down here and see the centrality of the Word of God in this work. My first point this morning, for those of you that take notes, for the kids that are using the listening page, the centrality of God's Word in our lives and in our world the centrality of God's word in our lives and in our world. God's truth, specifically here, his law, is central. And there is no other response for the believer than for it to be at the very center of our lives. Of course, we may be able to call ourselves believers. You may be able to check boxes and identify as Christian. But the real Christian life is lived as one who is believing this hungry for this, desiring to grow in their knowledge of this. What we have here in Nehemiah chapter 8 is a beautiful picture of a people, a town, a group of people, a community valuing the word of God. Once they get in there, it says they're all gathered. From last chapter, chapter 7 verse 66 says, the whole assembly together was 42,360 people. They have them all gathered. They tell Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law. He brings it. And they tell him to read it. Verse 3 says he, he read it. It tells us there that they had built a platform, something maybe similar to this, for him to just get above the people so that he could be heard better. Verse 3 tells us that he read from it facing them. Verse 3 tells us that he read from early morning until midday. If we want to, uh, a, a, a humble statement of that, would be what, two to three hours of just reading the Bible. Could have been four, five, six hours from 6 a.m. to noon of just reading the Word of God. Verse 3 tells us that all of their ears were attentive. They liked it. They listened. They weren't distracted. They weren't scrolling through their phones back then, I assure you that. They made the platform in verse 4 for the purpose of him being able to read the Bible to them. Verse 5 says he opened it in the sight of all the people. All the people saw the word of God, the law of God opened up. And when that happened, look what verse 5 says, all the people stood up. We don't want to over-spiritualize this. It just means there was a great respect for it, right? Hopefully you've been taught or you've been raised that there are times when somebody walks into the room, you need to stand up for them. There are schools that teach kids that if any administrator walks into the classroom, you should stand up for that administrator. Many homes teach that if a lady, a female walks into the room, you ought to stand up for her immediately and make a seat available. Standing for something, we don't have to over-spiritualize it. It doesn't make you more godly. It's just a sign of respect. If everybody stood, that's 42,000 people going, oh, about to read the word of God. The attention, the concern, the, the valuing, respect for the word of God. Now remember, this is the people of God. So this is, this is Old Testament. This is before Christ had come. And so the people of Israel are is still supposed to be like a, a, a people of God in their, in, their, in their way that is different than how we are now, meaning the, the spirit of Christ lives and the Gentiles have been included in and all of that. And so it's not exactly to say, well, Faraday needs to be like this. It's not exactly that. But it's similar in the way that they are still trying to rebuild their city. Notice that it's not telling us, here's how all the businesses need to be run. Notice that it's not telling us of how the government needs to be run. Notice that when all the 42,000 people get back in there, they submit themselves to the truth of the word of God. It is to be at the very center of their lives. And not just the lives of their home, but for the life of the entire place, the entire city. People, we as Christians are to understand that the Bible is the word of God and God has given it to us. God inspired men to write the scriptures. It's breathed out by God. It is the truth of God, it is alive. It is the very thing that God uses to go to work in our hearts and convict us of our sins. Christianity is not spread, although as much as we try to act like it is, Christianity is not spread in the world by influence. It's not spread in the world by just good people that make a difference in certain places. God may use that, but Christianity is spread in the world, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our towns, on our streets, through the preaching of the word of God that emphasizes that God so loved the world that he sent his son Christ to die for our sins. We may be able to draw a crowd and we may be able to influence people, but it doesn't do anything for the kingdom of God do not do anything for heaven, do not do anything for the glory of God if it is disconnected from the truth of God. The truth of God proclaimed is what God uses in the world. We need to think less about influence, and we need to think more about the truth of God and its place in our lives. There's a lot of hype these days about energy and positivity and all of that, and I'm all for it. I hope you all think I'm a good hype man for you all too. I hope I'm a positive figure in your lives. It sure beats the alternative day to day, I know that. But may we also know that we are a church here that believes the word of God and that's what we do. And every action we do, every good deed, every good work, every opportunity that we get to love and serve the church or outside of the church finds its goal in being able to tell this word. Finds its goal in being able to bring people into position to tell this word. The Bible is to be at the center. It is a fascinating read in Nehemiah 8. All the people, the men, the women, the children, even says anybody that could understand. If you're old enough to understand what's being said, get up here. Let's hear it. The centrality of God's word in our lives and in our world. I want to do something different now. I want to show you a little video, and we rarely do this. I want to show you a video of a community in the world that never had the Bible, never, and this is them getting the Bible. We're going to watch a video that's proving this point, and I'll come up and keep preaching. I've seen that video now several times, and it it gets me every time. Imagine longing for your town and your people and your family to get the word of God before another dies, and seeing there at the end of it that he got it. They valued the word of God. They wanted it, and they rejoiced when they had it. We see a similar thing here happening in Nehemiah 8, where they're moving into the city. It's time to start it. They tell Ezra to bring the word, and let's read it. On Friday, we fed the football team a, a pregame meal, like we've been doing every Friday. And we had a guest speaker today. I think they're getting tired of me giving them a message, so we had a guest speaker here this Friday. Uh, our brother Aaron Nance, who works for U of L FCA and is a part of Highview Central Baptist Church, and he was here and. In the midst of all the meal, I had picked up his Bible and just set it to the side. And so when it came time to give the message, he went to grab his Bible. And he's like, oh, no, man, my, my Bible's missing. I need my Bible real quick. Where is it? And so we had to look around. And I said, oh, it's over here. I just put it over here. And so we ran over to the corner for him to grab his Bible. And as he came back by me, he said, if I don't have this, I don't have anything to say to this football team. This is the centrality of God's word in our lives and in our world. But that's not the only thing that we get here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Two times in these verses, verses 8 and in verse 12, we see an emphasis here on the clarity of understanding the law of God. Notice at this point, there wasn't the whole Bible, there wasn't the New Testament. So what they keep speaking about is the law of God, which we understand to be the book of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible are known as the law of God. And so this is actually what they're referring to. This is actually what they were reading. But it says in verse eight, if you look at verse eight, I'm sorry, if you look at verse seven, when it lists all those names that I'm struggling to pronounce, it says they helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Verse eight, they read from the book, from the law of God, now look what it says, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Church, the Bible is not central in our lives when it sits in our car all week. The Bible is not central in our lives when it sits on our bookshelf all week. The Bible is not central in our lives when we just confirm that we are Bible-believing Christians. It's not central that way. The Bible is central in our lives when the truth of it is the very life to us, that the message of it is what we long for, that God's ways are what we need. We want to hear it. We need to see it. We want to read it. We memorize it. This matters to us so that our lives are being built upon what it says. And so, it wasn't central in their lives just because they read it. It wasn't central in the Tharaka tribe just because they had a parade and brought it in. What good would it be for Fairdale if I said, hey, the Fairdale Fair's coming up October 5th through the 7th, and on that Saturday, they're gonna have a parade. Oh, I would love it if you would let me just walk down holding a Bible just to show that we're conservative Christians and just to show that we have Bible. Would that actually do anything? I don't think so. The symbolism of it might be something. If y'all wanna try to get me in that spot, I might would do it. We're not putting much emphasis on telling people that I believe the Bible. We don't want people to know simply that we are people that affirm that the Bible is true and it needs a place in our lives. We don't need a sign hanging on the wall that says we're Bible people. The Bible's to be known, read, and understood because the author of the Bible, our Father in heaven, is God who wants to know us, who in his great love and mercy sent his Son for us. And so it's not that we value this book, it's that we value the message of the book. So, my second point here this morning is the clarification of the law of God. They spent time, it says in verse 7 and verse 8, it says it again in verse 12, they labored to make people understand the Bible. And while we have a lot of people in the room, I I dare say that the majority of you all would say, absolutely, I, I believe the Bible. The Bible has a place, we need it. We need to get the Bible about more, yeah? I know that, I know you almost all of you all would affirm that. We don't understand it. We haven't necessarily worked to understand it. That's the need. Specifically here this morning, I want to talk about the clarification of the law of God. What is the purpose of God's rules? What is the purpose of God's law? Why does God tell us to not do so many things? Why does God tell us to do so many things? Why are there so many don't do this? Why are there so many thou shalt nots? God wants us to understand him. God teaches us that the only way that we can understand ourselves is when we understand him and see our lives in light of him. There is an exact correlation. In my mind, there is no question why we have so many struggles today. No question in my mind why mental health is at an all-time high. Because we cannot understand ourselves rightly without understanding God rightly. We will drive ourselves crazy. We will mess our minds up We will misunderstand our hearts if we don't understand God. And we could keep saying that that's not true and watch us just keep running as fast as we can into a serious crisis of unhappy people. We need clarity on what God wants us to know. Packer quoting on this passage says, the natural supposition is that Ezra here would read a section of the law, and then he would pause so that it could be translated and explained. Then he would read a little bit further, and then so on. He said all this had been planned out, had been rehearsed in advance, and it worked well. The Levites labored to teach. The crowd labored to learn. And as these verses say, everybody understood. Throughout the scriptures, one discovers not only the proclamation of the word of God, that we need to tell it, we need to tell it, we need to tell it, but also that there was somebody explaining its meaning. Both are necessary. If they were not there, then we would need no need for teaching. We would just read the Bible and be done with it. But God has provided for his people in this context, priests and Levites, and in our context, pastors and elders to cause the people to understand the scriptures. Now the law the Bible teaches us, the law of God, is to show us the holiness of God. This is how perfect God is. And in seeing the holiness of God, if you've never heard this before, it's gonna rock your world. You've been thinking about church and Christianity for a long time. If you've never heard this before, it's gonna rock your world. And in seeing the holiness of God, your response is, oh no, I sin. If God's that great, I'm not so great. That's the purpose of the law. When you read the Ten Commandments, no other gods, you should say, there's times when I have some idols. When you read the Ten Commandments, that says, hey, don't take God's name in vain. You say, man, I've taken God's name in vain. When you read the Ten Commandments and you hear things like honor your father and mother, you say, man, I've been disrespectful to my parents before. When you read the Ten Commandments, that says, do not murder, and Jesus says, don't hate people. You say, man, I've hated some people before. You read the Ten Commandments and it says, do not commit adultery, you say, man, I've not been pure always in my heart. You read the Ten Commandments, it says, do not steal. You say, I've stolen before. Do not lie, do not covet. You think, man, I've done these things before. God's a holy God and I'm not a holy people. I'm not as good as I keep trying to make myself look out to be, I'm just not. And the Bible wants us to see that we're not on the level of God. When we read the Bible, specifically the law, we're supposed to say, man, God is so pure and holy and perfect, complete. And me, I'm not so much. In Galatians chapter 3, it makes this very point and it says that the law is a guardian or a tutor that leads us to Christ. It's like a preschool teacher that's always watching over the kids and say, okay, you need to stand right there. Okay, now it's time to go get some water. Now it's time to grab your lunch. Now it's time to go potty, right? That's what the law does. The law is showing you, man, you are not mature enough on your own. And hopefully those kids grow up enough that in our schools, we don't need people to keep telling them, now go to your locker, now go to lunch, now it's break time. Right, you don't, they've grown up. And what happens is, when we come to know God's holy law and see ourselves as sinners, that's where the gospel comes in and God tells us that he loves us. Listen to what Sproul, R.C. Sproul, writing on the law of God says. He says human beings were not created autonomous, that is, free to be a law to themselves. No, we're not. But we were created to be theonomous, meaning subject to God's law. This was not a bad thing, he says. This was not a hardship because God had created man in such a way that grateful obedience would bring him his highest happiness. That's the way God's made it. That when you obey God fully, that will make you the most happy. But we can't do it, so let's keep going. Duty and delight would have coincided as they did in Jesus. The happiest man to ever live was Jesus. And the most obedient man to ever live was Jesus. But we couldn't do that. He goes on to say the fallen human heart hates God's law. Both because it is a law and because it comes from God. Those who know Christ, however, find not only that they love the law and want to keep it, both to please God and out of gratitude for grace, but also that the Holy Spirit leads them into a degree of obedience that was never theirs before. Christ saving, forgiving, working. Church, if you've never heard it before, We are not the people that are prideful about how obedient we are to God's law. We aren't. We are the first to say in a world of fallen people, we have disobeyed God's law. We are not the standard God is. In our midweek men's and women's Bible study in the mornings, we have been studying 1 Timothy. And some of y'all that attend that will remember from early on in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he makes the point against false teaching. He says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. We've got generations and generations of people living right here in Fairdale, right here in Louisville, and all over America that were raised in church. And they don't like church. They don't know Grace. They don't know gospel. They know a lot of law. They've been told their whole lives, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. They don't know the grace and the good news of what Christ has done. In Timothy, he says, the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, I'm still reading from 1 Timothy 1. Understanding this, that the law was not laid down for the just. The law is not for the church people. The law is not for the good people, if there are any out there. That's a a, a fake category, by the way. He says the law is for, 1 Timothy 1, the lawless, the disobedient, the ungodly, the sinners. Because the law shows you, the law of God, the Old Testament, the first five books, shows us... I sin. I disobeyed. I've broken it. And the right response in that moment is I need a savior. I need forgiveness. God has a son that he gave for you. He gave his life for your life. He offers to you love and forgiveness. But the only way to get his forgiveness is to repent of your sins a right understanding of the law of God makes you feel I'm convicted and I need to be forgiven come to him broken and convicted of your wrongdoings and your sin confess that you've sinned against him and he will receive you with his love and forgiveness we just sang in that song did we not I love this line two wonders here that I confess My worth and my unworthiness. Did y'all hear that line? That's really good. Just lining me up beside the law of God, I'm not worthy. Lining me up with the love of God and his grace and mercy poured over me, I find my worth. The Christian's worth, as we sing, is not our own. It's in Jesus. If we're going to use the law to find our worth, we're just going to feel beat down all day long. We sin, we sin, we sin, we sin, we sin. That's why beautiful Bible teaching, good church and good preaching includes law and grace. We study the Bible so that we can see how sinful we are, but we don't stop there. We study the Bible to see how sinful we are and we study the Bible to see how loving God is, that his son is a savior of sinners. But if you're not a sinner or not a bad one or not a very big one, or you don't think it's that big of a deal, or not that bad at all, or you don't do that much wrong, or you're better than everybody else, then you probably don't have much need of the friend of sinners. You think God's a friend to good people, the Bible says he's a friend of sinners. It's not enough to believe in God thinking that we just need his help, that's not Christianity. Doing life the way you want to do life, so just the way you were influenced by the culture, and by your family, and by your friends, and by all the good people in your life, is not Christianity. Asking God to come alongside of you in your, in your life and help you, that's not Christianity. It's not correct to think that we are good people who have always had God and we just need his direction in our life. That's not Christianity. We are to see him as the holy God. The holy God that he is and then we are to see ourselves as those who have sinned against him and then see that he still loves us and that he gave his son for us to die on the cross. If we will confess our sins to him, repent of those sins, turn from from them, turn to him, believe on him, he will receive us into his love and forgiveness. It's not good when people say they respect the Bible, but they're not believing it. Sure that's something, sounds good, it works in a culture, society, get a little respect. It's not helping our witness, it's not at all. It's not helping. We're not seeing progress and advancement in the name of Jesus. We're not seeing others around us come to Christ. We're seeing the people around us move in the same direction of ungodliness, just a few still claiming that the Bible is good. And that's not it. The Bible's to be at the center of our lives. And when the Bible's at the center of our lives, we aim for clarity. We value Sunday mornings, we value Bible studies, we value people that will teach the Bible in our lives so that we can grow in that. It's not good when we give lip service to God and His Word, but we do not know it. We are to see God, we are to see ourselves, and we are to turn to Him. Number one, the centrality of God's Word in our lives and in our world. Number two, the clarification of the law of God. Notice that they were laboring to make sure the people understood the law here. But lastly, number three, the convicting response. To the truth your Christian faith without conviction and repentance is not a Christian faith Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior without conviction to sin and repentance from it is not having Christ as your Lord and Savior Christ died for your sins may you not keep being cool with your sins May your sins bother you. Notice in this passage, it's almost crazy to think about because in in a video like that, I mean, it was a parade, it was a celebration, it was a party and all of that. Notice here in Nehemiah chapter eight, what was their response? It's almost troubling, it's almost baffling. It's almost like, whoa, what's happening? The first thing it tells us in verse nine is that the people had to say, hey, don't mourn and weep because they, look at verse nine, they wept. As they heard the words of the law. See, you get over to some of these passages in the New Testament. Like I love it in James where it says, he gives more grace. I think about that all the time. Every time I find myself wrong and sinful and, 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 and convicted again, I'm reminded that the Bible says he gives more grace. But what about the Psalm that says, as far as the east is from the west, how far he's removed our sins from us, Right? There are passages like that where you say, Man, I love that one. I got that one memorized. But there's other verses that you read that and you just feel I'm out of line. When they read the truth of the law of God here, they started weeping. God's great. We've not necessarily been great back to him. Verse 8 says they understood clearly. Verse 12 says they understood clearly. Verse 9 says they were crying over that. They were bothered by their sins. They were upset. They were convicted. They were troubled. But in this passage, it says that those teachers came along again and shared with them the good news. They told them to not cry and to not weep. They told them to not be grieved. And they told them there in verse 10, which is a great verse, Nehemiah 8.10, that many of you probably have memorized, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Bible does teach you that you are wrong, that you are lost, and that you are dead in your sins. But the Bible also, do not stop there, also teaches you that God loves you right there. He will meet you right there. And he's not standing far off saying, if you'll clean up all that and come over here, you can be a part of this team. He came to us. He came to us. He identified with all of our issues and all of our struggles. He identified with all of our temptations, the Bible says. And when he did not sin, he took our sinfulness upon him. Whatever it is right now that brings conviction and guilt and shame in your life, and we all have that, You may be forgiven of and so it's in your past, but whatever it is that has brought conviction and guilt and shame in your life because of our sinfulness, the Bible says that God loves you in that and he sent Jesus to die for that and he will forgive you of all of that. But there is no forgiveness of all of that if we will not admit and confess all of that. We see him as great and holy. We see us as sinful and the work of Christ on the cross is the answer to that. When you come to know that, you have the joy of the Lord and that joy of the Lord will be your strength. You're not afraid of the law of God. You don't minimize the law of God. You don't downplay the law of God. You accept that you've sinned against him, but God loves sinners, and he sent Christ to be the Savior of sinners. In that passage in Acts chapter 17 about the Bereans, did y'all catch what it said about them? A lot of people know about the Bereans, but it's just so awesome. I want to read it again. Paul's a missionary, and he's traveling from town to town, and in Acts chapter 17, it says he, they, they arrive over here in Berea. And verse 11 says that the people in Berea are more noble than those in Thessalonica. The, the Holy Bible here just throws the Thessalonians under the bus. Because it says the Bereans do this. Listen to what it says. They received the word of God with all eagerness. They wanted more Bible. Then they would examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Does the Bible really say that? Does the Bible really teach that? Is that what God's really like? Verse 8 and verse 12 of Nehemiah 8 are teaching us that the people labored to help them see that. Church, we're not here today because it's going to make us a better person. We're not here today because we're the good people in town. We are here today because there's a holy God that we've sinned against. And he wants us to be his children because of what he's done through his son. We are here today believing that Christ suffered and died on the cross for our transgressions, for our disobedience. We are here today because it is this book that is teaching us this and teaching us this and teaching us this. It is this book that is explaining that way to us. It is explaining this way of God, this way of Christ, this pathway to us. And so we want it more and more and more and more. We want this truth to be central in our lives. We want more and more clarity on it. We want to know what God's about so that we can understand ourselves. Nehemiah 8 shows us what it means to value the word of God. When you don't value something, you neglect it, don't you? Those things kind of work against each other. When you value something, you treasure it and you keep it and you're, you're, you're about it. And When you don't, you just neglect it. Reminds me of a story. I grew up in a neighborhood back in North Carolina and we rode bikes all the time until we could drive. We rode bikes everywhere, all over the place, to the park, to other people's houses, to the gas station to get us a drink. I mean, we just rode bikes all the time. I'll never forget one time we finally talked a new kid in to go ride, ride bikes. He hadn't been riding bikes with us and so we went and I think he had to go out to the shed and he had his bike and his dad said, yeah, you got a bike It's out there in the shed and go get it and he pulls it out and the... Tires were flat and we're like, all all right, just pump them up. And we get the bike and we just pump them up and we start pumping up the tires and they're dry rotted. Y'all know what dry rotted is, right? His dad made him feel so bad over that. Of course they're dry rotted, you don't ever use it. That's what neglect does, isn't it? You don't use something, you neglect it. You got you a bike, you can't even ride it because you've been neglecting it. Church, could it be the case in our lives that the way of God is missing in our lives because we've neglected his word, we've not valued it? Oh, may we be a church where if they know anything about us, we value the word of God. Oh, may you and I be believers that if we are anything, we are those that treasure the word of God, we will not neglect it. We can't imagine these relationships without the truth of God's word in the middle of it. We can't imagine parenting without the truth of God's word in the middle of it. Read, focused on, explained, memorized. There's a proper response to the truth. And that is, God, I'm sorry. God, I've sinned against you. God, I turn back from it and to you. God, forgive me. God, have mercy on me. God, show grace to me. And God is a God who does. And that's the very purpose of Christ, his coming, his death, his burial, his resurrection. The Bible says that Christ lives even now forever interceding for us, being our Lord and Savior, Working to lead us and work in our lives. The Bible is to be central. The Bible is to be clarified. And the Bible is to be convicting that you and I would trust in Christ. I want to close by reading this short little book to you. If you don't have this one, maybe you'll get it. It's called Our Home is Like a Little Church. I want you to see the centrality of the word of God in the church, through this book, and through the home. My family goes to Sunday church, we see the pastor there. He teaches us the word of God and leads us all in prayer. We pray and praise God at our house, he makes our family glad. Our home is like a little church. The pastor is my dad. At church, the pastor reads to us the Bible in his hands. We learn about God's love for us and all of his commands. My daddy reads the Bible too, I listen to obey. I'm learning how to walk with God and follow in his ways. At church we sing and clap for God who made the earth and sky. He made us too and he loves us most. He cares each time we cry. At home we sing our Bible songs to God for all he's done and how he showed his love for us through Christ his only son. At church the pastor teaches us that Christ died for our sin and then he rose to life again. Now we can trust in him. At home, my daddy says to me, each time I disobey, that's why we all need Jesus' love to take our sins away. At church, we bow our head and pray. The pastor says, God hears. We talk to God and tell him all our secrets and our fears. Before we eat or go to bed, or when I'm sad or scared, my mom and dad say, Let us pray for God is always there. I love my pastor and our church. We are a family there. I love the stories and the songs and joining friends in prayer. I love my pastor, Daddy, too. He's with me all the way. He helps me walk by Jesus' side to love him every day. This book is not meant to emphasize this morning dads or church, At the center of God's truth, being at the center of our lives. Church, when Nehemiah finished building the walls, and 42,000 people moved back into town, and they looked around and said, Man, it's been a while. It's been a while since we've been here. What should we do? You know what they said? Get God's word in here. Let's read it. They read it for hours, and the people stood up and believed it and rejoiced and submitted to it. May we not be Bible people. May we be Jesus people because we love what the Bible's saying. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Nehemiah. This Old Testament book that's teaching us about how you work in the world, how you use Nehemiah's life. And this morning the centrality of your word. Father, I pray right now that you would convict us that the Bible would be more important to us, that you would convict us to want to know your truth, to make some changes. God, make us people, make our church Bible following, truth following. Father, make us like we see there in Nehemiah 8, a bunch of people wanting to understand it, understand it clearly. God, help us to use the law rightfully, that it's to show us our sin and show us that we need a Savior. Father, we pray today that you would create this conviction in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we sing this